Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that we have the privilege of gathering. We thank Thee, Lord, that we have a government that allows us to gather. We thank Thee, Lord, that we have a reason to gather, and that is a Redeemer that died and rose again that we might live, that we might be able to be living testimonies of the power of God in our lives. Lord, be with those that can't be with us. Be with Sister Hilda, Brother Dan, Sister Maria, Brother Richard, Aunt Marie, Aunt Laney, those, Lord, that aren't able to gather with us. Brother Roger and Sister Paulette, Sister B, a little bit farther away. Visit them. We pray, Lord, that thy spirit might be evident with them in this day, that there might be a communion that takes place that can only come through the power of thy spirit. Be with those, Lord, in other places on sick beds, those in hospitals. Be with those, Lord, that are still grieving the sudden deaths of loved ones. Be with those that care for those that are sick. Lord, there are so many. We could spend hours bringing souls into thy presence. And Lord, we're thankful that even before we can utter a word, you know the concerns and the thoughts. Through the power of thy spirit, you even understand the groanings when words cannot be put in place. So Lord, we thank thee and we praise thee. And we pray, Lord, that in this morning hour, these few moments that we will be together, that thy spirit might visit us, that we might be spoken to, beginning with the one that stands before thy children. And we thank thee and praise thee for the promises we know we shall receive in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dear ones, the Lord led me to a verse this morning, and... I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. And I wondered as I looked at these verses, how would this fit in? What was it that the Lord wanted me to share? Coming into singing, I still wasn't sure. I had written down a few additional references, but still was, Lord, what's the point in this? But I believe sitting through the Bible class, and I'm so thankful that Brother Andrew did such an amazing job. I'm I'm, I'm so thankful that he, no one would have known it was your first Bible class. So hopefully he's going to be there many, many times in the future. It was inspiring, and the Lord brought so many things together for me. So hopefully this flesh and blood will be able to put it all together, and I can just get out of the way and let the Spirit do it. But let's begin with John chapter 1 beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, The life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I'd like to conclude with verse 12. Dear ones, when I read those verses, there seems to be so much power and, and absolute power behind them. In the beginning was the Word. And we know that this Word that's speaking of here is Christ. In the beginning, He was. He was with God. He was God. Do we think about that? Do we think about the reality that Jesus Christ is God, was God, was from before there was a beginning? And what I, what I, what I was, what kind of connected some of my thoughts this morning was the discussion about, well, how do we know that these things really happened that we read about in Joshua? How do we know that what happened in Joshua really happened? How do we know what happened with Hezekiah really happened? Scientists have been trying to disprove God for centuries. They continue to do it. They will continue to do it. And the reason why they continue to do it is if we're going to admit that there is a God, we also have to admit that there is sin. We also have to admit that we are lost. And unless we come to the point where we cast ourselves on Christ, we, we claim his shed blood, when we, when we come face down in the dirt at the cross, unless we're willing to do that, we will be eternally damned. The next thing we want to do is we want to just say he doesn't exist. We can dismiss it as an illusion. We can dismiss it as, you know, was there an article? Was there a scientist? Well, the people that were alive when these things were occurring said they saw it. So where did it go? I don't know. It doesn't matter where it went. I'm okay with the fact we can't find it. Because if we did find it, somebody's going to disprove it. Because they have to. They have to disprove what is so that we believe the narrative that the world has been spinning and is spinning more and more out of control. If I were to, if, if we would just go back, you know, man, I, I guess I, I sometimes I, I forget how old I am until I look in the mirror or until I first get out of bed in the morning. Those first few steps or the first, you know, I, 
you folks, you see me when I get out of a chair, the first few steps are a problem. But I don't feel like a 61-year-old unless I'm just getting up out of the chair waking up in the morning. How did, how, where did my life go? It seems that I was just a young person. But then I see 10 grandkids and I say, well, you can't be a young person and have 10 of those. But I don't think that my life is, was that long. And yet the things that the world believes as truth today, 15 years ago, they would have said was absurd. 20 years ago would have said it was absurd. No one, if, 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 if 25 years ago, I would have listed off for you the things that we believe today to be true. Not we, but the world believes is true. You would have said, you're crazy. That people could choose their gender. What? You can't choose something like that. You're born with it. Not anymore. So why would, and, and so why do these things have to happen? Why do we have people, someone that I know very, very well, that says the book of Genesis is no longer real? It's, it's, it's an allegory. So why do they have to say the book of Genesis is an allegory? Because if they believe the book of Genesis, they know they're damned for hell. That's why. So let's dismiss it. Let's just say everything that is reality isn't, and then we can generate the narrative in our own minds to justify whatever we want in life. Well, there is a problem with that, dear ones. That's not truth. John gave us truth. So now that's the end of my negativity. And now I'm going to go back to what is really positive. Because what we read here in John and what we're going to read in Ephesians is some of the most positive, amazing, inspirational things that we need to hold on to. There's, there's a man... His name is Simon Sinek. Kind of humorous. His last name is Sinek. He refers to himself as an optimist. However, Simon Sinek says this. He said, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And he's right. Just look at Apple. That's another conversation we talk about later. But my point is, brothers and sisters, we need to be so impassioned. We need to be so excited about what we have because what we have is real, what we have is true, and what we have can be proven, and we are the living proof of it. Can I prove what happened in Joshua's time? Nope. Can I prove what happened to Hezekiah? No. I believe it. The Bible says it. I don't, I don't need to prove it. But there is a proof, dear ones, that I'm going to share with you today that we should be sharing with everyone we can. So let me just quickly get back into John. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wow, okay. So if Jesus is real, he made everything that is. He has complete control over everything from the sun, the moon, the stars, to the hail, to the meteors, to everything that, that is, okay? But it gets better. Not only in him was the power to do all these things, but in him was life. And the light. Life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He came 
Didn't see it. Didn't, didn't see what was going on. People didn't believe it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. <coughs> Excuse me. So John is sent to help with this process of revealing to mankind that Jesus is who he said he was. The other thing we need to remember is that the, the Gospel of John is the last of the Gospels to be written. It was written almost, I'm going to say, 60 years after Jesus, and the whole point was to set the record straight about Christ and address all of the things that people were saying weren't true. So John came, and the same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. How tragic is that? He came to those that should have known. He came to those that had the prophecies. We know they did. We know it was all laid out, very specific. How do we know that the wise men found him? Those that were diligently seeking found him. And I love verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of the living God. Verse 12 is that pivotal verse. To those that receive him, John was writing past tense. I'm going to say in present tense. To those who receive him, to them gives he the power. Other translations will say right in privilege. I'm okay with using whatever you want because we're going to get into more of the power piece. Gives us the power, the right, the privilege to become the sons and daughters of the living God. So now let's get to proof. Ephesians chapter 2. So how can we prove it? My brothers and my sisters, we are the living proof that it's real. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We know what it means to be dead. We know what it means to be hopeless. We know what it means to be like our fellow citizens that are outside of Christ. At camp, we, in one of our classes, I don't know exactly how much of the converse, how much of my testimony I gave. They were asking some questions about what it was like uh, on our conversion and and I, and I talked about the fact that the first time I was ever called by God was at Webster Springs in West Virginia. And, and, I, and it, was, it's, it was an unusual, some would say, well, that's kind of an, an interesting calling. But I, I was, in, I was in, in a cabin called Whippoorwill. It was actually a really nice cabin, really close to the dining hall. And as a 12-year-old, that was kind of important. I wasn't old enough to realize how bad the food was yet. And I was unpacking my clothes, and for whatever reason, I had stuck a deck of playing cards in my suitcase. Don't know why, but I remember taking those playing cards out of my suitcase 
And the Lord's saying, really? Why are you here? That was the first time I felt the call of God. And God called me many times, so many times after that. And I made some emotional beginnings here and there where there were times when I was sorry for my sin, when I was afraid of hell, when I was afraid of being separated from my family who were all believers and I was not. I had some of those emotional beginnings. But I didn't, res- didn't feel the power of God yet because I wasn't ready to receive him. Oh, there were times when I was sorrowful. There were times when I was regretful. But there was an August night when I lay face down, not in the dirt, but when I was trying to reform myself over and over and over again and couldn't. When I was trying to say no to Satan and I couldn't. And I remember sliding out of my bed at the lake, falling to my knees, and just saying, God, help me. I can't. And without you, I'm lost. And then I could experience, and you hath he quickened, who were dead and trespasses and sins. And from that night on, I saw the Spirit beginning to work in my life, giving me victory over things I never thought he could give me victory over. I remember one time, and it was, it was, it was, excuse me, the, I got to a point where there were things that sins I needed to confess to my dad. And I thought, well, I know I have to do it. And literally there was a battle between the Spirit of God and Satan. And Satan said, you can't. There is no way that you can do this. And the Spirit said, yes, you can. Right now. You can get out of your bed. You can go down two flights of stairs. Your dad's still in the family room in the basement. Yes, you can. And Jesus Christ gave me the victory through the power of the Spirit where Satan no longer had control over me. I was quickened and made alive. And my brother and my sister, so have you been. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the lusts and the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I love how the Apostle Paul always puts that in. He always reminds us we're no better than them. We're no different from them. The only difference between us and them is Christ. Excuse me. And then, I I love this. So we're talking about this this sad scenario, right? We're We're just like them. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Dear ones, remember what I started out with? Why do people need to disprove the things that we know are true about God? 
because when they disprove that, it gives them an okay feeling to stay where they are. How tragic. I'm going to excuse, I'm going to dismiss the authority that can save me so I feel better lost and dead. So when I get really frustrated with the absurd narratives, I shouldn't get angry. I should just be sad. When, when, when I hear it, rather than saying, how stupid, how could they be so foolish? Why, are, why aren't we... Sh- Talk about a person that believes in free speech. Why are we allowing them to say that? Well, because it's free speech, right? They have to be allowed to say it. But I really need to use that as a wake-up call and allow the, sport, the spirit to grieve my heart, not because they're saying it, but because of how lost they are. It's tragic. It's so sad. It should be heartbreaking for me when I hear it, not something that angers me that, I'm, that I can't believe how bad the world's getting. I should be glad that it's happening because what that means is my redemption's closer than I think. You know, do I want to see Israel being attacked? No. But I've read in the back of the book, they're going to make it. So when I see it, I'm that much closer to my redemption. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together. Think about this. Not only did he save us, he raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do we, do, we, do we realize that? Do we realize that spiritually we are in heavenly places? Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, would my servants fight? Our kingdom is his kingdom when, we choo- when he chose us and we chose to respond favorably, when we answered the call, our kingdom's not of this world. The citizenship, I, you, you know that I love being an American citizen. You know that I love that. You know that I love my country. But the citizenship that I should be cherishing is my heavenly citizenship. I was blessed to be able to be raised in this nation. I'm thankful for the foundations that were laid long before I was born that gave me the opportunities, the privileges, and the rights. But the citizenship that I need to hold in my heart is my heavenly citizenship. That in ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do, 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 we, do we think about what that might mean, the ages to come? What is the ages to come? Well, tomorrow. It might be if the Lord tarries and I live, I, was, I had a call from, the, 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 I, I have very little in terms of investment type things, but that the broker calls and he says, um, you know, we want to make some adjustments to your accounts. We just need your okay on some of this stuff. And he said, you know, we'd also like to run a projection for you to, you know, age 90, 95. And, and, and he says, because that's the average. And I'm thinking, really? Maybe. 
but I'll let them run whatever projections they want. But really, 95? Yeah, I don't know. Not sure that's in my, in, in my future. But whatever it is, how, the, the ages to come for me are however many days the Lord has laid out for me. And what, he, what does he want to do in those ages? What does he want to do in the ages to come from, for you folks, brothers and sisters, is show you his riches. What are the riches of Christ? We could say it's courts of glory. Yes, absolutely. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where, you, where I am, there ye may be also. John chapter 14. That's coming for us. But our ages to come are now. It's, it's in the next hour. It's, he wants to show us his riches. And we find the riches of Christ in the valleys. Not just the mountaintop. Thankful we get mountaintops. But his love means the most to us in the valleys. And then he says, verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest we boast. Isn't that wonderful? It's not what we do. It's what he did. And it's what he does through us. Paul's not saying there shouldn't be fruits of a believer's life. There needs to be fruit in a believer's life, and we can look into Galatians and find out what he meant by that. We won't, for time's sake. I love verse 10. And, and maybe it's because I started out my adult life as someone who was supposed to be a craftsman. For we are his workmanship. When I build something with my hands, that's my workmanship. When I look at it, when I, when I, when I lay it out in my mind, whether it's a deck, whether it's, whether it's something I'm doing on the boat, that's my workmanship. For me, I can, I can, I can get my head around that. I've created it. Now, I haven't created all of it. God has created the wood that I have at my availability, but I shape it, I craft it. it. It has my fingerprints on it, both mental and physical. We are his workmanship. We have in our, not just our being, but our life, as, as our life is orchestrated for us, the work, we're the workmanship of Christ. He's shaped us. He's made us. He's bringing things into our lives so that we can have a deeper, fuller relationship with him. He's doing these things so that we understand the depth of his love for us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at times ye were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's why the world's so sad. Just whenever you wonder why they're acting the way they are, why they're creating the narratives the way they are, just read verse 12. But then we get to verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our proof. I don't need a computer program to tell me where the missing time element is. I believe it. I don't need somebody to lay out how God spoke and everything that we see is. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah, it's kind of cool when, when I can see a scientist get into the tusk of a dinosaur that's supposed to be millions and millions and millions of years old and find tissue. That's pretty cool, because that means it can't be millions and millions and millions of years old. I'm not. Cool, but I don't need that. Because I once was dead, and I'm now alive, and that's proof enough. And I hope God gives me opportunities today, tomorrow, and all week to share that with people. Because that really is good news. May the Lord add his blessing to this word.